This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. The handling of homeless encampments continues to stir controversy as Mayor Johnston uses his veto power to push back on city council's ban on sweeps during freezing temps. Plus, the is downtown really that bad conversation continues as members of council say the new Denver ambassadors program's lack of oversight could lead to yellow vest vigilantes roaming the 16th Street Mall. Oh, and more listener nominations for the Mile High's worst intersection. Because when does traffic in this town not suck? Today is Tuesday, February 6th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Westward Editor-in-Chief Patty Calhoun, welcome back. Thanks so much, Bree. Uh, I went to Casa Bonita this past weekend. You did? Again. I should be honest. Again. Um, my, mom got, my mom got the random email, but uh, I... I loved it. I have to say, though, I still don't love the food. It's okay. We've heard that a lot. Now, we just came from our meeting where people are still talking about how do you get into Casa Bonita. Yes. A former writer, Connor, who's been on this show before, is back, and he was asking our what? food. Our food. Well, he's not in this building. Oh, okay. I was like, uh, did I miss his voice? He was asking our food editor, how do I get into Casa Bonita? Can you pull some strings? She's like, no. no. There are no strings to pull. There we are. were all talking about people who've been invited. I made tried to make a reservation for six. I'm, I'm on the list. After nine months, I think I made it. And- I just can't find a spot. Yeah. My mom randomly got the email. And so that's how we ended up going. But um, I, I'm curious to see if something changes in light of the 50th anniversary this year. And maybe we'll get a update on how things are going. So far, there is no info on the 50th anniversary. I've noticed that there are two different dates for it. The 25th, according to Denver Public Library, the 27th, according to Casa Bonita itself, from its 40th anniversary. <laughs> so I suppose I actually need someone from the Denver Post to go look in their archives and see what was the actual the day. The official day. But of course, we do have the next show coming, which will be great. The next co-op gallery show. Oh, yeah, of course. The Casa Bonita. The Casa Bonita show. That'll be great. Yeah, that's and something to look forward to. We just heard that Casa Bonita is indeed giving a prize to one of the artists of a meal at Casa Bonita. Okay, that's so, that's a good sort of piece that feels like a little bit of a olive branch because there was the issue over how artists were interpreting right. Casa Bonita well, there and still are issues that the snowboard artist for Casa Bonita is from Georgia, <laughs> so it would be nice to use the local artists. That's fair. That's fair. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to that to the uh, next gallery show, which is great fun every year where artists interpret interpret uh, Casa Bonita from many different aspects and many different mediums. Um, Theme just, this year: How do you like me now? Oh, so it's kind of like maybe how do you feel about the new Casa exactly. Bonita from an artist mm -hmm. perspective? I love it. Um, okay, well, our first story actually today is 
something that came um, came out end of last week. It was one of those late Friday announcement things, which always makes me feel a little bit like maybe they don't want the news to cover it as much, but we're going to talk about it, which is Mayor Johnston's first veto. Um, so anyway, Mayor Johnston's first use of power actually to veto a city council decision. And he's been at odds with this current council already. But in this case, he vetoed their vote that would have banned sweeps of homeless encampments during freezing temperatures. Um, this vote was tight to begin with. It was seven to six. It was hardly a majority. Patty, what do you make of the politics of this situation? Well, the first thing is, it's not his fault that they passed it on a Monday. Mm. He had five days if he was going to take action. So he had to pretty much do it on Friday. That's fair. Unless you interpreted it that Monday is a work that It's still a short amount of time. It's very short. So he did it. He did it before five o'clock, which True. gives you something. I have to say, I well, first of all, it's the first veto we've seen from him. But Hancock only did two in 12 years. One was the pit bull veto. Um, he vetoed the ordinance that would have allowed pit bulls. And the other was he vetoed the ban of smoking of flavored tobacco. So there were That's just right. two in 12 years by Hancock. And both of those were in his third term. So I think that Johnston is coming out quickly uh, is a good sign. I mean, he is taking action. Now, whether or not you agree with the action he took, in, in this case, I would say I think he did the right thing. Assume it was too small an issue like they were he he was being bound by too many things when in fact the big issue is should there be sweeps at all mm. is our homeless is our homeless um philosophy working is one thousand k the house one thousand people it, are or those things 1, 000, working yeah. to really parse can you sweep because the temperature might drop as we've seen in denver Temperatures can go up, they can go down 20 yeah. degrees in an hour. That seemed a very small part of a really big picture that they all need to work on together. Yeah, and I like that point. I'm going to break down a little bit in a minute. His uh, he he The letter he sent to council gave some very specific reasons why. But what I think you're getting at is there's this broader idea, this big picture, no sweeps, right? There's the no sweeps camp, the folks that are, are anti-sweeps just in general, and then there's all these little nuanced pieces of that. So you can disagree with it in philosophy, but in implementation, it feels like it can be a little bit muddier. Um, before we get to his letter that he sent to council, I just want to play this clip that we found from the campaign trail. Uh, it was a House Keys Action Network event, which is uh, a group that advocates and is um, operated partially by folks who are unhoused. And this was one of this was one of many yes or no questions that they gave the candidates. Um, but it's about this specific question about sweeps. So let me play this really quick. Second question is, will you stop sweeps when it is under 32 degrees Fahrenheit or freezing weather? I'm seeing Lisa, I'm seeing Jesse, Terrence, Renata, Chris, Mike, Jim, Ian, Leslie, Robert, and Denise. So basically, it's it was a question that they asked this, you know, when we had the the hands up when we had the because there were 17 people, yeah, right. 17 people, and and um. Mayor Johnston was one of the folks that said he would not do this. He would not be enforcing the sweeps during freezing temperatures. Um, I, I mean, I feel like it's a little bit more complicated than that. And and what Johnston said in his letter to council about his veto was um, if they were to do this, it would prevent their ability to close encampments and move people into housing. So he's got a very specific plan to if I'm going to close an encampment, I have to have somewhere to send people. And so he's just saying like, 
it's not as easy as just saying, yes, this is not a black or white thing. Um, he also said in his letter that it overturns the city adopted camping ban for up to a third of the year. And he says, this is contrary to the will of more than 80% of voters who affirmed the camping ban in 2019. So for folks, um, just like a little background, the camping ban was enacted by council more than a decade ago. In 2019, there was the Right to Survive Act, which would have undone the camping ban, essentially. And voters said, no, we want to keep it in place. How do you think all of this is is playing out when we're looking at the camping bans legislation versus like this issue at hand right now? Well, I think he does have to account for why he raised his hand. And I think at this point, after six months dealing with House 1000, dealing with the realities, he's going to have a pretty good explanation, I think, which is one of them is if a sweep is scheduled a week in advance and then all of a sudden the temperature goes down, but he's got places for people to go Shouldn't that continue? Now, of course, there's the whole issue of what's a sweep and what isn't a sweep. Right. You know, the city has a different definition of it. But by now, given what he's done, I think we have a much better idea of what's happening when things are swept. And we're not hearing that many complaints about belongings going missing, which happened a lot in the early days of the Hancock sweeps. We are we are hearing that people are going into housing. So I think to tie his hands at this point with one basically based on the thermometer seems wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, it's just it's there's this over this overarching idea and then the implementation of something two very kind of different. things. And we really need to have a discussion of is House 1000 working? Are the Mm. people who are going into homes, the 1200 people who've gone into homes so far, are they getting the help they need? Are they going back out on the streets? Is this what we want to push? That seems where we'd like to see council focusing. And it kind of talks, it kind of gets into that drilling down of the definition of what it means to be housed. And I think Kyle Clark talked about this and what does it mean for someone to be housed? Like you said, you know, six months from now, are they still in a housing situation or are they back on the streets? How are we going to measure this long term? I don't know if he has an answer for that quite yet. It's been shifting so quickly since the beginning as they really realize what takes what it takes to take a thousand people off the street and put them somewhere and what kind of somewhere is working for them. But when you think about it, the data dashboard originally was people who'd been housed 14 days or there were so many different nuances that have already been dialed down or up. They're defining it as they go and more power to them. He did get a thousand people off the street. Let's make sure it was efficient and it's working well. He's also dealing with the migrant issue. So this just seemed a very small issue that isn't worth councils, what it's going to take for council to override. First of all, I don't see. I was going to say, what do you think that, I how don't do you think that's going to play out? I two people changing their mind, two people who voted against it in the first place. The only reason they would change their mind is if there's really compelling evidence or they want to defy the mayor and say, hey, you're not the boss of us. Yeah. I don't see that happening. So that gets to, so the mayor has vetoed it, but there can, council can override that if they have a super majority. They'll have to have nine votes and that'll come up on the 12th. Okay. So we'll be watching for that. Um, something else I thought Axios uh, Denver sort of characterized this as Mayor Mike Johnston's first veto erodes progressive credibility. Do you think this would, do you think that voters are going to punish him for this? Do you think that this is something that could affect his Uh, you know, in three and a half years when we get to the next election? I thought that was a funny take because at this point, we're looking at what he's doing every day. We're looking at it on national TV. 
with the migrants, with all those other issues. People aren't defining, is he progressive at this point? Like, do we agree with what he's doing from a humanitarian standpoint? Do we agree with it from an economic standpoint? There are so many other issues going on here that the last thing we need is a label. Yeah. And the progressive part is interesting to me, too, because if we look at the council people that really put this forward, sure, it was uh, Council Member Lewis and Parity who are definitely more uh, aligned with left, even though we're a nonpartisan. This is a nonpartisan position. But also um, President Torres was involved in this and also was Paul Cashman, which I would also say lean more left, but they aren't always on that end of it. So it just is the dichotomy of the votes is interesting to me. Well, and again, with the with the migrant issue and the fact that we're going to have to cut city budgets maybe by 10%, at least, if the feds don't help, we're kind of breaking through with labels right now because yeah. this is a city that has always been pretty generous, but I think people could start feeling less generous depending on if their trash service goes away, if more city services go away. So that's beyond labels at this point. I mean, it is cold, hard cash and real human lives being affected. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the migrant crisis too because it intersects with this issue so much. Funding, uh, where we're putting people, how we're taking care of folks. And we're in this space right now where um, there's conversations about exiting or or pushing some of these migrant families out of this, out of the sort of sheltering that we've been doing because we're running out of room and what's going to happen with that. And um, I think we'll talk more about that as that goes on. But I saw something recently that... Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. They're looking for 142 bilingual volunteers to help with um, some work permitting stuff. So there is some movement on the work permitting, but they really need folks to help just with the translation services. Right, because what they found is that there are situations where the migrants who've come through and they have a legal status that might allow them to work right? if they realize they have the correct status. So they need trained interpreters who can go find that out. Now... Johnston is also talking on national TV about finding other ways to put people to work. That's going to be a lot trickier. But in the meantime, the city is certainly doing everything it can to help people who've chosen to come here or wound up here because Texas sent them here. Right. But um, trying to get them on to have a good life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll be watching that situation. We'll also be watching this vote coming up on the, um, the freezing temps if it goes back to council how they decide. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board, because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone, and there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. 
registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. <laughs> Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, house plants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. Our next topic is something sort of tangentially related, which is this uncertainty around the Yellow Vest ambassadors of downtown. Um, so there's been some disagreement with council about this recently as well. I think Westward, you all wrote about this as well, um, that this new program, the Denver Ambassadors Program that the mayor is doing with the Downtown Denver Partnership, and it's sort of a civilian force of yellow cotopaxi wearing helpers that Johnston and the business community hope to make they'll make downtown a nicer place to spend money. Um, Chantel Lewis, uh, who's a council member of District 8, asked about the training of the ambassadors, whether it's sufficient enough for the level of community engagement they're going to be doing. She also expressed concern that while uh, downtown Denver partnership security guards aren't armed, private security guards for businesses can be. And she said that she thinks it creates grounds for potential vigilante behavior, and that really concerns her. Patty, what's your perspective on this 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 issue over what are the yellow vests and what are they going to be doing? Well, the yellow vests have been overblown but on both by both sides. I mean, the yellow vests have access to this app where people can complain if if right. they see trash, if they see passed out people, whatever. And it's act, the city was acting like they had just come up with this. Well, in fact, that app has been going for a couple of years. The Clean and Safe app, right. yes. We wrote about it years ago. And it's great that they want to respond if you see trash to help clean up the city. It's going to one person's email. Let's hope he's able to oh go, uh, go help clean it up fast. But Visit Denver is also doing the Go the Extra Mile. What the city is doing, which is smart, is saying we've got a bad look right now. We've got bad PR out there. People are saying Denver's in decay. If you go to Denver right now, I haven't seen a tent. I haven't. I went to, um, when I went to see Liz Cheney a week ago, I walked like eight blocks to a car and I did not see a single homeless person. Downtown is fine to go out. Interesting. It is not dangerous. I mean, Green Valley Ranch for a party might be a little worse. Oh gosh. But downtown is fine. What it has right now is a bad reputation. Yeah. I mean, you have to be careful, but you've always had to be careful if you go to the bars at Let Out. But crime is definitely down around Coors Field, around Lower Downtown. It's definitely down. And there are good things to do in town. So if it takes people in yellow vests making people feel better about going downtown <laughs> and going to the arts and going to these small businesses, I'm all for the yellow vests. Yeah. And you brought, I just want to make a note of that. I'll put a link in the show notes. Unfortunately, there was a shooting in um, Green Valley Rancher over the weekend where two folks died. The gun violence conversation is, uh, that is a statewide conversation I think we'll be having at the legislature for sure. Um, but something else that uh, Council Member Parity brought up was that um, the concern that she has is the lack of public oversight. So the, the yellow, you know, the, the yellow vests are accountable to who? Versus the police department is accountable to 
the city of Denver, essentially. Do you think that this is something that folks should be worried about, that there's a private, you know, that there's this clean and safe app not run by the city and that there's these folks that are not overseen by the city of Denver policing downtown? Well, they can't arrest people. They can't cite people. They can give people advice and they can call in problems. Yeah. So what's bad about having someone at downtown unless they give you bad directions? Yeah. So it's really maybe up to like that interpretation of what that person's supposed to be doing. Right. You would like to know. And it's also with Visit Denver's Go the Extra Mile. Who's giving them the info? Who are they plugging? Are they only plugging certain members like only partnership members? Are they plugging any business? What are, where are they pulling the information? That's my biggest concern. Mm. But there is so much misinformation out there now yeah. that this can only help combat that. Yeah. I'm, I have not, I've been downtown, but I haven't seen any of these yellow vest folks, but I think I, I need to do a little bit more wandering around to find out, just maybe approach one and see what they do offer or how they view what they're doing. Right. Go out, ask them, would they actually recommend a restaurant? Would they tell you where to look for a restaurant? But just that they're out there to make people feel more comfortable. Yeah. And the clean, and you brought up the clean and safe app um, being run by one person, which is interesting to me because to me, it sounds like it's pseudo functioning as a 311 kind of thing, but for downtown. But I do wonder how much they're able to do if it's just one person being inundated with photos and complaints of, of trash or, or right. people passed out. Well, like and our reporter, Katie Cheshire, had contacted him and talked about it. And he said, well, it's just coming to my email and I'm, I, he's happy to go the extra mile, which is fine if... If they're inundated, presumably they'll do something else with it. They'll get other people in to help. Okay, um, our final topic is actually just we heard from you all, our brilliant and hilarious listeners, about a show that we did last week about terrible intersections in Denver, in and around Denver. We had Denver 7's traffic guy, Jason Lubron, to talk about Denver's worst intersections. Before we hear from our listeners, Patty, did you have a, do you have a least favorite intersection here in, in Denver? The intersections I don't like at the moment are the ones where the work is going on. Like Broadway was just a mess for a while. Better again now. Yeah. But I do not have a you don't really have a least one favorite? I avoid. No. <laughs> And Broadway finally is getting a little bit of a break because they finished a lot of those bigger Right, but you would be going down into one lane at rush hour. Yeah, I've been been through that experience too. Well, uh, our listeners shared a couple with us. We got a text that says, okay, maybe not the worst, but pretty bad. Lincoln northbound at Alameda. Far left lane is turn lane only onto Alameda westbound. Then the left lane... um, like the left lane with no warning turns into a parking lane during certain hours as you head down uh, north on Lincoln. And then this forces people to panic and make that illegal double turn where they shouldn't be. And then this person ended it with, don't get me started on all the new roundabouts. Somebody's been to Europe. Oh, I do hate the roundabouts. <laughs> but I have to say, I drive that route up Lincoln and I've never even noticed that. But the roundabouts, the one at 7th, where just past Logan, there's some really bad roundabouts. I think part of it is the design of them. If they're if they're sort of after the fact that they're a little bit, uh, I've seen people drive right over them. Right, they're too small. They're so too trucks small. can't like a moving truck. Yeah, much less a bigger truck. They just can't do it. That's the part I find funny. Is I think that they're interesting in theory. Part of it is we don't quite know how to use them yet. But the big truck thing. That's only getting worse here in Denver in terms of folks driving large vehicles. I don't see these two things 
coalescing anytime right. soon. Right, and people are moving into central city, the central parts of the city. They need to get their moving vans through. That's I've true. I talked to several people, and the roundabouts really screw them up. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Uh, our next one uh, was a text again from a listener: Hampton and Tamarack. There's an accident there almost every day. I've personally seen at least one this week. Um, I've seen pedestrians hit by cars, cars T-bone, head-on, sideswiped. My friends and I live in the area and now have a running joke about how dangerous it is with seemingly no explanation. Hampton and Tamarack to me is just like two big two big streets that sh- are just too big. And should never have met. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you have any more of those horrible intersections, we know this conversation is not over. It is definitely ongoing. You can call our awful intersections in Denver hotline 720-500-5418. You can also share anything else you have on your mind with us on that hotline. Again, it's text or voicemail 720-500-5418. Hey, Patty, thanks for joining me this morning. My pleasure. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell the one guy in charge of the Downtown Denver Partnerships Clean and Safe app about us. Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. Bree Davies alone in a room by herself. It's the Bree Show.